From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus, and today I'm talking to engineer David Holtzclaw about the Inflation Reduction Act. Nebraska has a low population, so we don't get as much money as all these other states. So that's more of a challenge. New York, Illinois, they have large populations, so they have big weatherization budgets. And so they have staffed up over years. They've created this network. They can take a program like this, take the money, and hit the ground running, whereas we have to learn how to walk. The IRA will be a boondoggle for a lot of states, but it will be a a whimper in other states. So it really depends on how the state manages it. We're talking about opportunities for local homeowners to take advantage of tax incentives to make energy efficient upgrades. Stay tuned for our conversation after this break. Tom Noblock here. I've been exploring culture of all kinds for the past few years, and I keep coming back to the same conclusion. Everything we do is filtered through entertainment. If it's not entertaining, nobody's paying attention. So to understand the world, you have to not only look at your screen, but comprehend what's on it. This is the focus of my new show, The Entertainment. Each week, I'll be exploring an element of our culture through film, television, music, art, and more. Listen this fall on Omaha Public Radio or on your favorite podcast app. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus. The Inflation Reduction Act passed last year is said to be the largest bill ever to address the climate disaster. The legislation includes about $30 billion for homeowners to make energy efficient upgrades to their houses, such as installing solar panels or a heat pump. But it's daunting for the average taxpayer to navigate the Byzantine world of tax credits to access IRA funds for those upgrades. David Holtzclaw wants to help. He owns Transduction Technologies, an engineering firm that provides energy consulting services to commercial and residential clients here in Omaha. He's here today to explain how local homeowners can take advantage of the Inflation Reduction Act to make their homes greener. Here is my conversation with David Holtzclaw. Tell me how you started in the energy field. Started getting into the um, energy efficiency, clean energy uh, industry back in 2011, so a little over a decade. We moved here from Houston, Texas, where um, I was working for NASA. My background is in biomedical engineering and uh, aerospace engineering, uh, neither of which is are the fields here in Nebraska. <laughs> so uh, I was stay-home dad for a little bit, uh, academic for a few years, and then kind of uh, went down the, the green path. All right. And so how did you kind of shift into that green path uh, with the resources you had here? It just kind of, uh, I was, we've always been rather, um, rather green, sustainable tree huggers, if you would. And I was interested in, in fighting climate change and, and seeing what more we could do about that. So kind of started in the energy efficiency world on the residential side, uh, expanded that to the commercial side, and uh, expanded that to, to bigger and bigger uh, markets, uh, uh, but still kind of keep our fleet in, in the residential market. So as an energy consultant, uh, you started the company Transduction Technologies. What does your job as an energy consultant mean? Uh, so we get hired by, uh, uh, on the residential side, homeowners or, or developers or multifamily uh, developers or, or owners to uh, help them save money is basically what it comes down to, whether it's through energy efficiency, 
take use of uh, tax incentives or local incentives or PACE programs or whatever the case may be, uh, help them to save money on their utility costs. Uh, some are interested mostly in money. Some are interested more for the sustainability. The bottom line, they end up getting more tenants that stay longer or they sell their property for more money. So uh, it's usually a win-win at the end. Do the majority of your clients or customers come in because they are trying to save money or because they are invested in changing the way we're energy efficient? Uh, it's money most of the time, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's both. Fair, you know, fair. It, it, you, know you, you can do both, right? And that was one of the goals of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act is, is to do both, right? Save a lot of money, create a lot of jobs, and make the environment better. So you get both. All right, so let's dive into the Inflation Reduction Act, or also known as the IRA. As an expert, can you give us the good, the bad, and the ugly of it? Because there seems to be a lot of it, and we'll dive deeper in. Um, But from what I can read, it doesn't really have a lot to do with inflation. It's called the Inflation Reduction Act because Senator Manchin wanted it to be called the Inflation Reduction Act. So uh, he finally was the final vote they needed to pass it. He's been pushing about inflation for for a while now and wanted to be a selling point for his uh, you know re-election campaign thought his voters would like that better than a a green bill does it have anything to do with inflation Um, very little in in honesty Um, so you know again it's it's there's a lot of jobs a lot of money going out to all over the country so it's primarily uh, was was used as an, an incentive program to to incentivize the uh, green industries, incentivize renewable energy, uh, incentivize energy efficiency, uh, improve our grid and infrastructure, and to have all these jobs that would go along with that that would hopefully become permanent jobs. And that's incentivizing people from corporations all the way down to our neighbors, correct? All all over, yes. All over. All over the supply chain. Uh, when does this start to kind of play out? Obviously, there's always a lagging uh, when there's so many hands on bills. But um, when does it start to play out? And have we even seen any effects so far? Yes, we've seen several effects. So the bill was passed and signed in August of 2022 uh, and became effective immediately. And a lot of the money started flowing out January 1st, 2023. Okay. So uh, the tax incentives started January 1st, 2023, and there's a lot of tax incentives. So in the bill, there's roughly about anywhere from about 120 to $180 billion in tax incentives. And that number was an estimate. There's actually no cap on the tax incentives. Okay. So it could be trillions of dollars. There's no cap on a bill on the tax incentives. So, And can you give us an example of what those tax incentives could look like? So those t- um, in the bill, as it was budgeted out uh, by the con- Congressional Budget Office, they estimated about $65 billion for renewable energy and clean energy tax uh, incentives. Those are the ITC tax credits have been around for uh, over a decade, the 30% tax credits for renewable energy, uh, wind, solar, uh, geothermal, hydro, all those, and about another $62 billion on production tax credits, which are the same type incentives, more for a utility scale renewable energies. There's also about another $36 billion for clean manufacturing. So this is manufacturing of new clean technologies, whether it be batteries, wind turbines, EVs, whatever the case may be. There's another $36 billion set aside for residential and commercial energy efficiency upgrades to our buildings. $30 billion set aside for the development of nuclear energy 
and then there's about another $30 billion in, in smaller buckets from EVs to clean hydrogen to developing a used EV market to carbon capture and recovery cost. These tax credits, if I were to apply for them, let's say, to make my home more energy efficient, that money that is saved away is for kind of like to have, well, what taxes I would pay? The tax credit bucket. Yes. So all this money, the majority of it goes to renewable energy, wind and solar. Another big chunk goes to EV, whether it's money to develop new battery technologies, build battery manufacturing plants, uh, help support more EV developments. The third bucket really is residential. Okay. And a lot of money is going to residential. So there's about $30 billion going to residential in different buckets. So residential is actually the third biggest bucket. And, and actually commercial, there's very little money for commercial. There's not very little, very little being like $20 billion, but still uh, relative <laughs> the to the rest. In, in the relative scheme, a lot of money is going to the residential markets. So of the tax credits for residential, there there's four buckets. There's the 25C tax credits, which are energy efficiency upgrades to existing homes. So 25C is probably the easiest thing that most people are going to take advantage of. There's no paperwork. You don't have to jump through any hoops. You don't need to fill any forms. You just make an upgrade to your house and claim, keep your receipts and claim the tax credits on your tax credits. Previously, the 25C has been around for about a decade. It was capped at $500 lifetime uh, tax credit for an energy efficient FC upgrade to a residential existing house. So this could be new windows, more installation, uh, more efficient appliances, more efficient air conditioner, whatever the case may be. It capped lifetime at $500 because often often that was a one-time use. What changed in the Inflation Reduction Act or the RA is that they limited the lifetime cap and now they have annual caps of $1,200, or 30% of the tax credit. So if you have a residence that you own, and that's your primary or secondary residence, you can claim 30% of an energy efficient upgrade of the costs to this tax credit with a cap of $1,200. Of the cost of the materials, and not the labor. Uh, that's a little tricky. Okay. okay. So. If you are making an upgrade to the building shell uh, or the building enclosure, that's your insulation, uh, better windows, better doors, basement slab, insulation on your your basement walls, whatever the case may be, that 30% is just for the materials. It does not count to labor. Okay. However, if you are making an upgrade to mechanical equipment, uh, air conditioner, a furnace, uh, those type of appliances, that 30% or it's, it's more than $1,200, but that 30% can go both to the material, but also to some of the labor, the labor that's involved with implying the appliance. So if you put in a new air conditioning and you have to switch out your electrical panel, or if you had to add a breaker to electrical panel, you can count those costs as well. Now, heat pumps also get another $2,000 per year tax credits. So if you insulate your house and buy a heat pump, you can actually claim $3,200 per year on that upgrade. 
If you're just joining us, I'm talking to engineer David Holtzclaw about the Inflation Reduction Act and how it can help your home become more energy efficient. Have you used IRA money to make your home greener? Tell us about it by calling in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. Or tell us about it on social media. Follow Riverside Chats on Instagram and Facebook. Okay, so how do you start to claim all of these things every year? Do you just keep your receipts you and send it to... And file it with your taxes for the following year. So if, and again, this started January 1st, 2023. So if you made, uh, uh, you, you put in new windows this year and the windows qualify. And by windows qualifying, they are listed as the Energy Star most efficient windows. And there's Energy Star webpage where you can see all the manufacturers and the different windows. Okay, you can claim 30% of that cost for that window with a max of $1,200. So if you have, uh, you put in a new door that costs you, you know, $1,000 and you put in three new windows that cost you $1,000 just to make the math easy. <laughs> okay, so that's $2,000. You can claim 30% of that $2,000 that's what you can claim on your tax credit for those upgrade, assuming that those products meet the Energy Star label. Okay. Now, if you add a heat pump, now the next year, you can repeat that. Okay. You have another $1,200 the next calendar or whatever your tax year is. How much are people actually going to be shelling out for these to get to these energy rated or energy efficient rated X, whether it's windows, doors, whatever? On average, are those a lot more expensive than just, let's say, refurbishing your windows? It, it depends on a product and depends on a market. Okay. So typically, those are probably adding anywhere from a 5 to 20% premium cost. Uh, it depends on the number. Uh, it depends on your market. a lot of different factors. And But the hope is that in the long term, your bills will go down. Correct. Correct. So they've been proven to cut costs by about 20%. You can't get the Energy Star label unless you've been shown to cut costs at least 20%. For people who may not have the funds to start this right off the top, but want to be able to like access it or go in phases, are there incentives or payment programs or what are we doing for those in our community who can't really pay for those upfront costs, for who can't pay for that premium right up front? Sure. So that was the, the 25C which is just a tax credit for residential dwellings. Okay. The 25D is your uh, income tax credit for rev- for uh, uh, renewable energies. So that's solar or wind. They've added on to that batteries. So you can now get 30% tax credit on batteries. And again, that's just not the uh, solar panels. That's also all the wiring that goes with the solar panels and your inverter and the cost for electrician, all that can be wrapped up. What does not count would be cost to your roof, right? So say if you have to reshingle your roof because you're putting on solar panels, you cannot count the cost of the reshingling, but you can count the cost of the balance of the system, the solar, the wiring, the inverter, everything it makes to make that system work. Now, so again, that's, that's energy efficiency and renewable energy, 25C and 25D. Now, there are and those, you don't need any paperwork. You just file out with your taxes, you're done. Now, for there's also another part, part of the pie, which is called the home rebate programs. 
So, and those are doled out to each state energy office, and there's a pot of money for each state. Okay. So, Nebraska uh, has its pot of money that gets sent to the state energy office, which is the Nebraska Department of Energy and Environment. And if they accept this program, they will get uh, $91 million over 10 years. Have we accepted it? Uh, we have not applied to it, but the NDEE has stated several times publicly that they do plan on going after it. Is there a timeline on when they need to apply for it? So they need to apply by August 16, 2024. Okay, so they have about a year. They have about a year, and the application just was released July 27th. Of this, uh, of, of 2023. This, uh, 2023. So as we sit here, September 6th. 2023. Uh, they haven't turned it in. But I'm not sure if any other state has turned it in. It's just uh, these are massive applications uh, that require a lot of time and effort to to submit. But they've stated they're going to submit it, and they have a year to do so. Have you taken a look at what those applications look like? Uh, I have. the The overview, just like the overview <laughs> for the application, is 100 pages. So it's, it's a long, tedious application. Uh, as you can imagine, with any federal program, there's a lot of oversight. Uh, when you're talking about that type of money, uh, there's a lot of requirements for quality assurance, for uh, bookkeeping, third-party review, auditing, all those type of issues. New personnel. So the Department of Energy and Environment, they're probably going to have to triple their staff between now and when they receive money, which will probably be sometime in early 2024. So this is part of the, the uh, boondog of these large programs is some states are ready to move and some states aren't. Right now, the Nebraska Department of Energy and Environment couldn't advertise a new position until after the next legislative session. You can use up to 20% of this federal program to pay for administrative costs. Yes, to staff. And in fact, you can get an advancement on your first year. Back in May, all you have to do is fill out a form and send a letter to the Department of Energy saying that you'll apply the program, and they would give you 20% of their first year, which is roughly about $1 million. So many states took that money, already staffed up, uh, or they hired a contractor, a third-party contractor to run a program, which many states are, are going to do. The state of Ohio was advertising six people back in January just for this program. As Nebraska, we haven't. We have because they can't advertise. Oh, because they can't advertise it. They can't advertise it because they don't have the funding for it. So you're talking May of 2024 before they can advertise for new people. So you're talking fall of 2024 before you have those people on staff and geared up. If they want to run this internally with staff employees instead of sending it out to a contractor. A lot of states are already contracting out some of this work so they can start immediately. And a lot of these are contractors who are filling out their state applications. This act is said to be the biggest climate change bill passed even in America, which is really great because we're one of two, uh, the other being China leading as the leading countries for carbon emissions. Do you think that this bill is doing enough? Is it just good enough? Does it excel? Could we be doing more? Well, I mean, so far, you know, it's been on the books for about a year. Uh, I think last I saw there, there's... 85 new manufacturing facilities that have already been start construction or, or, or under contract. Bloomberg's estimates of about uh, already spent around $100 million on clean energy investments. So, so far it's off to rolling start. Now, a lot of these, you know, these are large utility scale uh, renewable systems. They take 
months, years to go through your permitting process, uh, and then another years to get built, right? And these battery manufacturing plants, same type of thing. These things take time. New grid wires, uh, upgrades to our infrastructure, they take decades long. to build, permit, uh, and design. So, um, so far it's a rolling success, but we're not seeing a lot of change yet, but it's, it's still early. And we got this, this bill goes through 2032. So it's a 10-year funding cycle. At a national level, new jobs and new factories opening up, how is that starting to roll out? Quickly. One of the things that was, uh, that has, I don't know if this was planned or, or by accident, uh, but you're seeing a lot of these factories rolling out in conservative states. Uh, Texas, Kansas has one, uh, Missouri has one, um, uh, California has a couple. But so uh, these are jobs going, going to conservative states. So uh, it's very hard for them, five, four, you know, uh, next presidential cycle or whatever, new Congress comes in. It becomes very difficult to overturn this because. If these are, you know, uh, real jobs, uh, real people in your districts. So it's going to be hard to say, nah, I don't want that money anymore. I'm talking with engineer David Holtzclaw about the Inflation Reduction Act and how Omaha residents can use it to make affordable, energy efficient upgrades to their homes. Stay tuned for more of our conversation after this break. If you're enjoying the type of content you get here at Riverside Chats, conversations that go in-depth on art, politics, and everything in between, please consider becoming a supporter of the show. You can find a link in the show notes that allows you to give a recurring or single amount, whatever you're comfortable with, whatever you think the show is worth, which maybe is nothing. In which case, ouch, if you think this is a valuable part of your week, then we would appreciate the support so we can continue to give you the quality that you came here for in the first place. Thank you for considering supporting Riverside Chats and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus. David Holtzclaw, owner of the engineering firm Transduction Technologies, is here to explain the Inflation Reduction Act, which includes about $30 billion for homeowners to make residences more energy efficient. We're talking about how Omaha can access some of that money and what that means for the future of green energy. Here is the rest of my conversation with David Holtzclaw. So let's go back to what you were saying about these rebates. Can you go further into those and dive a little bit deeper to, because it's like there's tax credits, there's rebates, there's all these different things that kind of Correct. save us money or okay. give us, yeah, go so, ahead. So the tax credits uh, already there, already already money. You can you can make their, make those energy efficient upgrades since all those heat pumps clean your money now. Um, the rebate programs, so this is money sent to the state energy office. $91 million over four years. There's two programs. Each program is about $45 million over the course of, of 10 years. So roughly about $9 million a year. So one is a, one's called the uh, Home Energy Performance Based Program. And it is a little bit complicated. What that does is that, and this is available to any uh, state resident, it will be run through the state energy office. And so what the, homeowner does is that they say they get what's called an energy audit, uh, which is where uh, the, the homeowner hires somebody to come in and gives them an audit. There's and that's kind of what you can help with. Sure. That's, that's what companies like us do. Correct. Awesome. Right. Um, and uh, there are rules about what software you have to use and how that audit is done. 
Um, and then they say, okay, here's the most energy efficient, uh, biggest bang for buck upgrades. And they will give the homeowner a list and the homeowner will say, okay, I will do A, B, and C or, or whatever they want to do. And so for that upgrade, if that upgrade or series of upgrades produce a 20 to 30% of energy savings for the household annually, and they are less than 80% AMI, which is average median income, which is a variable created by the uh, Department of, of, of uh, Housing and Urban Development, they're called HUD, and that's used how they track uh, incomes and how they give money to different cities and counties across the country. If you are below 80%, then you 80% of that project upgrade costs are paid for through this program with a max of $4,000. If you are greater than 80% AMI, which is based on a county level, you get 50% of that project paid for with a max of $2,000. If that, and that's an energy efficient upgrade or series of upgrades that saves you 20 to 30%, 20 to 34%. If you're 35% or greater, those numbers go up if you're less than 80% AMI, you get 80% of the project cost paid for up to $8,000 instead of $4,000. Or if you're above 80% AMI, you get 50% of the costs, project costs up to $4,000 instead of $2,000. Can you double stack these? Can you get the rebate and then apply for the tax credit as well? Yes, you can. So you get put more insulation in your attic and you get a heat pump. And for that, you get a rebate of say $4,000 and it costs you $12,000. So what you have to do is you should have to subtract $4,000 from that $12,000, which gives you $8,000. Then you can apply your tax credits on that $8,000. It still just seems like so much money for people who are living paycheck to paycheck. Okay, so that's for the second rebate program, okay, which is the electrification program. Uh, this program is solely meant for low-income housing. So this is people at uh, 150 AMI, 150% of AMI and less. Okay. And so, and if you qualify this, this is straight out money to help you electrify your, your residents. And tenants can apply for this as well. So uh, if you qualify, you can get up to $1,750 for heat pump wa water heater which is right now the retailing around $2,200, so pretty much pays for the heat pump hot water heater. You get up to $8,000 for a heat pump, uh, uh, electric uh, stovetop or Energy Star certified clothes washer or heat pump dryer. You get $840. Uh, you can upgrade your service panel. You get up to $40,000 for that, and you get up to $1,600 for... Um, improvements to the building shell, uh, air sealing and insulating, and you can improve your wiring and get $2,500 for that. So with a max of $14,000 per dwelling. So and that includes apartment units. So, so is that the landlord's responsibility or the renter's responsibility? So the either can apply. Okay. Now the landlord obviously has to approve the upgrade or yep. change to the building. Okay, but either can apply. So, um, and so that's fourteen thousand dollars for single family dwelling, also for an apartment. So, if you have ten apartments, that's one hundred forty thousand dollars. 
Okay, just just for that rebate, assuming the tenant and the income level is based on the tenants and not the level, landlord, not the landlord is the tenants. So, and in theory, the landlord is paying for it because they own the property, um, and then they will get the rebate money. Okay, but they also get the improvement to their facility. There, there's also a series of rules. Uh, for two years, they have to uh, they can't raise the rent. Mm. Uh, for two years, unless it was due to property tax or a change in market, and they have to prove that. Um, they cannot get rid of the current tenant for a higher paying tenant. Um, there's probably ways around this, but there's, there are a set of rules. <laughs> that they seems actually, fair. They because actually you're have getting to, to use somebody else's income correct. for your property that you are invested in. Yeah, as part of the federal program, they actually have to change the lease to state these other additions onto the lease. So if you take the money, you actually have to rewrite the lease with these uh, clauses in them. I'm sure there's loopholes there, but you know it, it pretty much sends the, mess, so the message that you know you, you can't just take the money and, and kick out your tenant. You yeah. have to maintain your tenant for at least two years after the upgrade. Okay, can you talk to me? I read somewhere about an energy efficient mortgage. What does that look like? Does that have anything to do with this? That does not. That actually has been around for decades. Um, it was started by Fannie Mae back in the, um, I think the 1980s. I'm not even sure. So um, what it is, and and I, I've had great difficulty getting bankers and loan off uh, uh, mortgage companies to accept this. Uh, but they have to because it's uh, it's fairly required. So what it is, if you if you're a home buyer and if you qualify and there's income requirements for this, uh, and you're buying a house, you can request an energy efficient mortgage to where, if it's a existing house that is uh, that you would have high utility bills, and again you're hiring somebody like me to come in and do that analysis, and if you make you know, X dollars of upgrades to it to lower utility bills and roll that cost of those upgrades into your mortgage, then they have to accept it. Mm. A mortgage company actually can't turn it down legally. Legally, they can't turn it down. It probably happens, <laughs> but uh, they legally cannot turn it down. So if you're buying a $100,000 house uh, and your average utility bill would be $200 a month, and someone comes to me and says, okay, you make this $20,000 worth of upgrades, you put in a, a heat pump or a new furnace or whatever the case, and that will lower your utility bills from $200 to 150 or whatever. They look at it per month, they look at your monthly costs. So this is your mortgage costs, these are utilities costs, this is your insurance costs, et cetera. And as long as that total number goes down, then it, the mortgage company sees that as a benefit because they're less likely to default on the mortgage because their monthly costs have gone down. So then they will lower your rates or they'll give you points and, and there's several different options on how you deal with deal with that. Uh, so you so that so that helps the the home buyer with their cash flow. Because mm -hmm. you buy a house, you don't have that extra cash to pay for those energy efficient upgrades. So you have seen a lot of homes in Omaha because of the work you do. Would you say that, do you have any idea on the percentages of homes in Omaha who are like an A plus at energy efficiency? Or would you get, can you give us like a, an average grade? <laughs> average grade in Omaha for energy efficiency, that kind of depends on what you're comparing it to. At best C, a lot of Ds. Uh, we, we do not 
build energy efficient homes in in Omaha. We're not currently like building. Like people who are currently building houses aren't prioritizing no, energy efficient homes. No, it does not. Is there a way that we could either as a city, state, or federal government, there's tax incentives or for building, could we include some sort of incentive for building energy efficient homes? Uh, we could. So uh, that's actually regulated by building codes. So um, uh, what's, uh, the state of Nebraska is on the uh, international uh, uh, ICC, International Code Council, when they're set of building codes. And in that set of 17 codes, there's a uh, ECC, which is International Energy Code Council, which sets the energy efficiency code standards for new construction, residential and commercial. And so we are on the 2018 version of that as a state. Uh, but Omaha has amended that to make it more less energy efficient. Omaha is in the city council? The city, city council voted to amend it to make it less energy efficient. What was their reasoning? Uh, because the uh, MOBA, the Metro Omaha Homeowner Association, won them too. Who's on that association? Uh, mostly home, or local home builders. Most cities throughout Nebraska has, has amended it to be weaker than what the uh, unamended code. That code comes out every three years. So now there's a 2021 version, and next year the 2024 version will come out in January. And each year it gets more and more strict and more and more energy efficient. Can the state of Nebraska stop cities and towns from making... They Yes, they could. This is a state code. Okay. They could... Uh, uh, not let local municipalities amend it, uh, but it would never pass. If they and did that's it. our that's our state legislature. That's our state legislature. That that's that's, yeah, that's a governed by our state. So yeah, they, they wouldn't have the votes to, to do that. And in some of the rural communities, it kind of makes sense. It, it's hard to follow all these uh, building codes to the T in some of our uh, small rural communities where they just don't have. Uh, uh, either code officials enforcement or they just don't have the contractors and resources to build it. So it is understandable in certain parts uh, of the state. Uh, it's not understandable in places like Lincoln and Omaha where those resources are, are plentiful. Okay, so since we're on the topic of Nebraska, do you think it is logical for us to increase the number of charging stations across the state, specifically in western Nebraska? Uh, yes, particularly. I, and, and some of that work is, is done, and there is some IRA money and, and more of the uh, inf uh, 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 Infrastructure and Jobs Act, which is another bill that got passed last year by Congress that uh, set aside money just for building infrastructure. So uh, that was another multi-billion dollar bill. Uh, focuses mostly on the electrical infrastructure as well as the gas and pipeline infrastructure across the country. So there is DOE funding uh, from those bills to uh, add more, uh, to renew and upgrade our electrical grid, make it more of a smart grid. And there's also money in those bills for planting more charging stations along federal highways and federal roads. Now on state highways and state roads, um, the there's not there's not money per se for that. There is block grant money that Department of Energy gives the state, and then lets the state then make that EV infrastructure network on state highways, state roads, county roads, etc. 
So uh, there is there are grant opportunities for Nebraska to, to go after that money. Uh, and some was just come out like like in today's paper. Um, that's kind of do with the infrastructure. Um, exactly in terms of EVs, I think there's money for that. It's it's just mostly just going to get that money and then building it. That who, that does get complicated. Who can go and get that money? Like who can apply for these grants? Uh, it depends on. There's multiple grants grant. from multiple institutions. Okay. Uh, so whether or not you're applying to the Department of Transportation or the Department of Energy or EPA, so different federal regulations have have different rules. Those are mostly uh, uh, municipalities or, or different uh, jurisdictions. So that's cities, counties, uh, even UNRD state utilities can also apply for this money. Uh, nonprofits can apply for this money. So the Center for Rural Affairs is applying for a large grant to uh, give them some money to encourage solar development in our rural communities. So uh, nonprofits can go after some of these pockets. So part of the problem and, and the goal, uh, one of the goals from the Department of Energy in the RA is to make the state energy office a clearinghouse for these opportunities. So they would be like, hey, OPBD, there's this grant out from the Department of Transportation that will give us X amount of dollars to install EV chargers on county roads, which is not covered by the federal funding. Can you go after that? And we'll support you, we'll help you write the grants, whatever the case may be. So in a previous article this summer, uh, one of the, the complaints I had for the um, NDE is that they weren't really serving as this clearinghouse. So earlier this year, as part of the IRA, there was a large grant for K-12 schools to upgrade their HVAC units. So a lot of our, it's a big problem in our uh, school system is they don't have money for infrastructure and HVAC. And after COVID, we found out how poor ventilation systems we've had in a lot of these schools and they haven't always had the funding to make those upgrades. Well, part of the IRA was a big chunk of money to go after that money. And, but a lot of our rural s- school districts didn't know about it, don't have grant writers, uh, don't have people that go after this money. Again, this is where, in theory, the state energy office is serving that role as that clearinghouse. Go apply Either for this. Go and apply for it or saying to Lincoln Public Schools, Omaha Public Schools, uh, Beatrice Public Schools, North Platte Public Schools, whatever, here's an opportunity. How can we help you go after this money? Because those rural districts actually kind of get bonus points when they apply for those programs because uh, they want to spread this money around. So uh, uh, because of where they're from, uh, they have a, uh, a better score or a greater opportunity to get those funding. So uh, that is part of the problem with this huge pocket of money and a state energy office that just doesn't have the resources, the personnel to handle all of this. Um, is that they're missing these opportunities that, you know, you go back to Ohio who hired six people in January, that's six more people that they have that they can be doing these type of work. And, you know, Minnesota did the same thing. Uh, did they have to have their legislature or I guess they don't have a unicameral like we do, but how did they get the approval to Again, hire these people? Uh, I don't, well, you know, each state has their own rules, okay. so not everybody has to go through legislature. But again, the state energy office... They just have to write a, they can use those federal money. You can get 20% of the IRA money today. To even get contractors. Yeah. And hire a contractor to manage it until until you can hire staff to do that. Right. You can do that now. Mm -hmm. And that's what some of these other states are doing. Or some states, you don't have to go through a state legislature as long as you have the funding and you get outside funding. 
you can you know you know you have your own hiring policies and regulations but you don't have to wait until your unicameral meets next year to prove those positions if you're just joining us i'm talking to engineer david holtzclaw about the inflation reduction act and how it can help your home become more energy efficient follow riverside chats on facebook and instagram or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. So the least allocated funding uh, within the IRA is $21 billion for agriculture. Uh, What does that look like for here in Nebraska where we have so many people who are currently in the agricultural business? So I think a lot of that um, money also, like a lot of the tribal money also hasn't been allocated. Okay. And, and I think a lot of that is just uh, the DOE not having staff to put all this together. I mean, uh, the, the IRS actually has been cranking out uh, new rules and regulations for all these cash credits, kind of working their staff over time to be able to interpret how do you apply a lot of these tax credits. So, you know, they're coming out almost every other week, they're coming out with a new rule of regulation on, on how to apply some of the tax credits from the IRA. I think the Department of Energy is kind of in the same boat is that uh, this was a lot of money. They didn't have much time or, or centralized office for this big pot of money and so it's just taking them time to you know build a machine to manage all this um, the ag money I, I don't know off the top of my head I think a lot of it will be guarding uh, water resources uh, a lot of these rural water systems are outdated uh, they have very inefficient pumping uh, they are, are not very dependable um, uh, so that is a big issue from uh, water resources, both sewer water and, and, and supply water. That would be a big use. Uh, irrigation, obviously, is a big, is, would be another big use. So off the top of my head, I think there will probably be money set aside for those applications and some of the ag dollars. So where you mentioned a lot of different stats here, a lot of different numbers, lots of money going different places. Where can people go to check with their local jurisdictions to see what current tax credits are available? Uh, nowhere. That's a problem. Uh, so, uh, again, this is that clearinghouse role the Department of Energy is assuming the State Energy Office is playing or serving. So, um, I, I know we're, we've been putting up a lot of stuff on our website just to kind of keep people informed. And right now, uh, that might be the best place in honesty. And what uh, is the website so people uh, can go look at it? www.transactiontechnologies.com. A couple of the, the DOE websites. Um, in the website right now, there's nothing up there. But at some point, part of this money requirement is they have to post this money. They have to turn in. Uh, every three months, how much money they spent, who it's gone to. So there's a lot of bookkeeping requirements of the IRA, and they are also encouraging the state to make that public through their their websites. Now, I can't guarantee NDE will do that or not, um, but that's they're supposed to do that as part of the application process. They have to say how they're going to, where that accountability is going to come from. Other than that, uh, there's a lot in there on the federal, but locally there's very little. Another good source that they haven't done it yet, but maybe they will in the future, are your local utilities. Uh, LES, Lincoln Electrical System, usually does a pretty good job with that. Uh, OPD doesn't, but maybe they, they will in the future. 
as this has come out, what states do you think that Nebraska can take notes from? What states are doing this really well or cities? Several. So um, the, the key is, is that these programs are being modeling after weatherization programs. So what has happened is that Department of Energy has given states money for decades for weatherization. So this is upgrading low-income, mostly housing, uh, making them more energy efficient, uh, more insulation, newer appliances, et cetera. Uh, each year, Department of Energy gives a pot of money to each state to do that based on state population and some other uh, rules. So states that have had strong weatherization programs uh, this is Massachusetts with the UMass program. This is New York, uh, New Jersey, Minnesota, Oregon, California. Uh, they, have, they have strong weatherization programs st- already staffed up. Their staff knows how to do this. They know how to handle these federal dollars. They uh, have an, uh, uh, an already a collaboration of contractors that they work with, that go up and do these upgrades, that make these audits. Uh, those states are way, way ahead of states like Nebraska that doesn't have those networks and strong weatherization programs built up. Uh, partly because Nebraska has a low population, so we don't get as much money as all these other states. So that's more of a challenge. Massachusetts, New York, Illinois, they have large populations, so they have big weatherization budgets. And so they have staffed up over years. They've created this network. They can hit, they can take a program like this, take the money and hit the ground running. Whereas we have to learn how to walk. The IRA will be a boondoggle for a lot of states, but it will be a a whimper in other states. So it really depends on how the state manages it. What advice do you have to give to our state? I would really encourage them to hire an outside contractor to manage their programs. Like starting now? Starting now. They just don't have the staff or the expertise or technical knowledge, uh, but they don't have the staff to manage something like this. There are companies all over the country that do these type of weatherization programs, often hired by utilities for some of their requirements, uh, often hired by different state offices. People know how to play this game and hire somebody to do this for you instead of learning as you go and being two years behind behind the ball because you know you have you have a pot of money it's it's you know 91 million over 10 years but it's an annualized budget so you get a pot of money every year and if you don't use that money then you could lose it the first year well yeah or like so, the money allocated to that particular yeah so year. if it takes you a year to get up and running you may not get the money or you may not get that full $9 million for that first year, just as an average, right? So, um, uh, or, you know, we don't get behind. People are hearing about this. We get about, you know, five calls a week. People are asking about IRA stuff and how do I go about taking advantage of this? And we're telling people, we probably have to wait to January. Uh, and, and For these, home, just homes. For just homes. homes. Yeah, yeah, do not make any upgrade. Unless, unless you're just <laughs> using a tax credit. Okay. You can do that now. But all the rebate money... If you do an upgrade now before the program starts, starts in Nebraska. You won't get it. You won't get any money. So it could start in Iowa in a month. It won't start in Iowa. But, you know, if it starts somewhere else (laughs) earlier, right, you still have to wait for when it starts in Nebraska. So your cousin in Des Moines may be making, or or Minneapolis could be making an upgrade now or in in December, right, and getting money 
if you make it upgrade in December, you're not going to get any money. You have to wait till the program starts in your state. So hypothetically, what could listeners, who could listeners call to maybe light a little fire to get them kind of moving in um, this direction? The, the state energy office. Uh, uh, this, this will give me more trouble. Uh, <laughs> but really, that that's really they're they're in charge, and 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 it's they're going to be managing the money, and they know the boat that they're in. So it's their choice. They they can hire a contractor and get the ball running, or they can, you know, slow walk it. That's totally up to them. Are they excited about the boat they're in, or do you think they're kind of reluctant and hesitant? I, they're not reluctant. They're overwhelmed. Mm, that's I mean, this, fair. Yeah, that's I mean, fair. Yeah, this is a lot of work. I mean, they have a small staff. They've probably, you know, uh, they've probably filled out a dozen grant applications already, right? So they don't know where to start. They they don't have the technical expertise to set guidelines for this. So um, I, I don't think they don't. It's not that they don't want to do this. It's just that they're like, how are we going to manage to do this? So they're, I think they're just overwhelmed. Okay, so some of the arguments against the IRA is that by taxing corporations, and we didn't even really get into that, that the cost is going to trickle down to the consumers. Will it actually affect us, do you think? Or is that even a valid argument or the focus of anything to do with this? I, this that has nothing to do with it. So this is money coming from the, the federal purses, uh, just like it is that goes to military or just like it goes to Medicaid or Medicare, right? So... This isn't taking money from somewhere else. It's just another part of the federal budgets. This program is not being paid by any one person's taxes, not any more than defense is paid by any one person's taxes. This is all coming out of the whole pie. So that really doesn't make any sense. Okay. And is it, does that go the same thing for people who are still frustrated that they'll say, you know, gas and groceries are still so expensive, so this IRA isn't even working? What is your response to that? Well, too? it's not open because it, it just started. Yeah. Um, fair. So, uh, uh, you know, inflation has gone down in, in the past nine months, which is only as long as this program's really been active. Uh, so, I, I would say give it time. You know, uh, these these big infrastructure type programs take decades to implement, and so I think people are just going to have to be patient. All right. Well, so we're getting to the end here, but really quickly, can we? talk about the city of Omaha's Climate Action and Resilience Plan. I know they're kind of working on one. What does that look like? Does it have anything to do with the IRA? Uh, I just feel like being Omaha Public Radio, we should be talking a little bit about what our action, action sure. plan is. It, the only thing it has to do with the IRA is the IRA is paying for it. Okay. So uh, the uh, million dollars that the state got from the EPA uh, came from of the IRA bill. So uh, the IRA set aside uh, X amount of dollars to every state and X amount of dollars to the largest 60 cities in the US, which Omaha is one of them, and said uh, you get X amount of dollars to develop a climate plan. So that's where that money came from the IRA. So just to develop the plan, not just, for execution. Just to develop a plan. Just, okay. not, just to develop a plan. So uh, that million dollars that Omaha got, the state of Nebraska got $3 million. Um, to develop a plan. So that original budget of, um, I want to say $380,000, dollars to pay for the contractor to develop a plan, that is coming f from the EPA through the IRA. Uh, and then that other uh, 
four million dollars they have left or six million dollars six hundred thousand dollars they have left over will pay for a staff person for about a year and, and other expenses so that they'll pay money to develop a plan and probably have a fair amount of money to implement a plan or get the ball rolling now after that money is is gone then it's up to the local uh, mayor's office and city council to to implement it and, and keep that going. What is the track record of the mayor's office and city council in implementing any sort of climate change plans? Uh, non-existent, so not very good. So they do not have a, a good track record. Uh, under the previous mayor, they came up with a plan um, about 10 years ago, um, and very little of that got done, and and pretty much that's been the same for about the last decade. So um, I am, Someone hopeful. Well, I'm not very hopeful that something will change, uh, just because the track record's been pretty poor, and, and I don't see a desire to change. You know, the city council just passed a resolution last week, I believe, to take the EPA money, and you heard uh, half of city council say that they don't want to take the money because if we take the money, there's requirement that they actually develop a plan, and it was God forbid that we actually have to do something. And I think that leads to a bigger culture issue with Omaha of not wanting to change, not wanting to develop. And I think that overall cultural identity is what's driving parts of this brain drain. People yes. saying things haven't changed here in years, and the climate action plan is one example. The bike lanes are another example. Same issues over and over, the same people in power over and over, not addressing them. That collectively is what's driving our young people to seek jobs in other localities. So again, this is a chip in the wall. Coming up with climate change will help change that mentality, get them all be more willing to make change, both social change and political change that might then keep some of these people from seeking greener patches somewhere else. Thank you so much for being here. I have learned so much from you that I don't know where I would learn anywhere else. Good. Thank you. Riverside Chats was created by Tom Noblock and is a production of 91.5 KIOS Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowitz. Remember, you can find the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. I'm Maria Corpus.